Amen. Well, like Meg just said, we are kicking off a message series called Unoffendable today. And we're doing that because I read a book last year, right before the pandemic, by Brant Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N, called Unoffendable. And I read it, I was like, wow, we got to bring this to the congregation, not knowing that we would go through the next, or the, yeah, that year and a half after that. And so some of this message you're going to hear is from that, but it's all biblical, in the sense that, yes, Brant Hansen came up with the term unoffendable, but it's a biblical concept, that it's possible for you and I to live life where we don't have to be offended by everything. That's why next week we're going to deal with how to give and receive criticism in a way that doesn't offend or we're not offended. And today we're going to hit a topic that I think everyone can relate to, and it's the topic of anger. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is all about relationships. Paul is essentially saying, look, you are new in Christ now. Your old way of life needs to go bye-bye. You're not living for yourself anymore. You're living for Jesus. In fact, Jesus is in you and wants to live through you in all aspects of your life, especially in your relationships with others. That's why he says because of that, you need to get rid of lust, deception, foul language, abusive language, and a few other behaviors that he says we need to get rid of. We need to leave them behind because they don't belong to our new life in Christ anymore. And as you look at Ephesians 4, especially at the end, you see these different behaviors that God tells us to get rid of, and one of those behaviors is anger. So if you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. And we're going to jump around a little bit in Ephesians 4, but we'll, pre, we'll be there most of the time. Here's what this text says. And don't sin by letting anger control you, and don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, I want to make this as practical as possible. I want you to really examine your life today in light of what, whoops, in light of what Paul is saying in this text. So what I want you to do is I want you to think of a time, at least the last time or multiple times, when you were angry. Some of you are going to be angry in a few minutes with this sermon. I'll take it. That's okay. Some of you experienced anger on the way here. A little spat with your spouse. The kids were not behaving in the car. Led you to be angry. Maybe there's, not an, maybe there's not something that pops in your mind. Maybe you need help being reminded of what has made you angry. So I've selected a few relevant things that probably have at least made you angry recently. Or you've at least experienced sometime in your life. And I'm going to go there. That's okay with you. So first, you read something on social media about masks, the COVID-19 vaccine, or Governor DeWine's update, that leads you to post something angry in return. What's hard about this is a lot of people online don't come to church. They look at what Christians are through what we post, and they don't see a lot of Christ's love in our posts. And so maybe for you, this has made you angry and it's made you go at somebody on social media. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying that's very easy to do in our culture right now, isn't it? Or maybe you're driving and someone cuts you off in traffic. They don't have the audacity to speed up. They pull right in front of you and they don't hit the gas and so you tailgate them. Yeah, that's mine. And I may have done that to you in this congregation and I apologize. But if you think about it, you're watching that car and you're like, don't do it. And you can tell they're thinking about it. 
And they're taking about 10 seconds to think about it. And on second nine, they pull out in front of you. But there's no one behind you. Why couldn't they just waited three more seconds? But then they pull out in front of you and then they don't hit the gas. If you're pulling out in front of me, you better put that gas, that pedal to the metal. I know, that's why I'm here and that's why I need this message. All right, let's keep going. You are having a hard time with the political climate of our day. It leads you to harshly cut people out of your life that don't think the same way you do. Now, I am not saying you should agree with everybody. But what is shocking to me is that I heard a stat recently that two-thirds of people have lost a friendship over the last year, year and a half over stuff like this. That boggles my mind that friendships are so hard to come by, especially as adults. And that two-thirds of us have cut someone out of our lives because they don't agree with us. They don't believe the same way as us. We've been offended so much so that we cut out someone we love. That's tough. Let's talk about that in a little bit. Or maybe your mother-in-law. Dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank. I'm not going to. I'm not going to get in trouble. My mother-in-law comes to this church. I'm not saying another word. So let's keep going. She's great, by the way. If you see her, tell her that. Uh, your spouse makes an off-headed comment to you. It causes you to erupt and chaos ensues. Or you may say, I don't get angry. Well, what about the time if your spouse or somebody does something to you and you ice them out and you pretend they don't exist? That's anger. And these are the things that we struggle with. And I could have listed many, 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 many other examples, and you probably could as well. But you get the idea. We are easily triggered. We're easily angered. We're easily offended. And I want to lay all my cards on the table so you know where I'm coming from. This is not a, a message of judgment. This is a message of empathy because I have struggled with my anger and my temper since I've been a child. Now, I am the only child. Hello. <laughs> now, I have a half-sister, but with my parents, I'm the only child. That can cause some things, of course. But I've really struggled with it into adulthood. And as I've been wrestling with this book, Unoffendable, I've been wrestling with Paul's words in Ephesians 4. I've been listening to certain things on anger. I've been really reflecting with God. I, I finally pinpointed it. And I found a question that really convicted me. And I want to ask that same question to you. And all I'm asking you to do is be honest with yourself. Because the only way that we can overcome our anger is admitting that we may have a problem with it. I wonder if we struggle with anger because we are always the victim. 90% of anger issues that we have, it's always the other person, never our fault. Now 10% of those truly were a victim. At the end of the service, I'm gonna to talk to those in this room who have been victimized by somebody. So I want you to hold that. But most of the little and even medium things that make us angry, we're the one always that is the one wronged. I mean, think about it. If you get in an argument with a friend or a family member, how often do you walk away and say, oh man, I was wrong. Let me call that person. Let me go to their house and apologize. Let me make it right. No, usually we call a friend or a sister or somebody and say, can you believe this person did that? And we get them on our side. We're the victim. Or with our boss. Oftentimes, maybe your boss is making you feel a certain way, and they are wrong. 
But how often do we talk about our boss behind their back? How often do we rally the troops, so to speak, and slander that boss? I mean, even if the boss is wrong, when you and I slander or gossip or say things behind their back, we're just as wrong. Oftentimes we're the victim. Now, my wife, who's sitting here today, <clears throat> she has a gift. She has the gift of telling the truth. She has the gift of telling the truth even when I don't want to hear the truth. I would say 95%. She would probably say 100%. She's right. But she doesn't just have the gift of truth. She has the gift of love. She has the gift of accuracy. She knows when she says something to me, oftentimes she's thought about it and she's right. Now, I would love if she said something to me that offended me, if I could say, man, Paul, you are so right. In fact, I'm going to go to my journal. I'm going to write that in my journal. I'm going to remember it. I'm going to bring it to the Lord. I'm going to tell God thank you for convicting me and showing me my blind spots. Of course I don't do that. I go right back at her. My inner lawyer comes out. I defend, I defend, I defend. Let me tell you why you're wrong. Let me tell you why I'm right. Let me tell you why this isn't true. Let me tell you why this isn't right. We all have that inner lawyer in us that want to defend because we're the victim. We don't ever want to see it through other people's lens. We only see it through ourselves. And if you don't believe me, take Solomon's words for it. For he says in Proverbs, he says, the first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins. Isn't it true in the courtroom of our lives? We are trying to prove and defend and show why we were right, show why we were wronged, show why the other person shouldn't have said that. Oftentimes, we don't want to hear the other side because we see life through a me-centered victim-mindedness oftentimes. And that's why Paul says, look, in your relationships, because we look at life through that lens, you're going to struggle with anger. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.26 again, don't sin by letting anger control you. Does it say we can't get angry? No. It's okay to get angry. But we can't let it control us for when we do, Paul says we're sinning. Now there are two forms of anger in scripture. One is righteous anger, the other is unrighteous anger. The only one that can wield righteous anger in the perfect objective way is God. God is the only one who his emotions are stable. He sees the situation at hand. He's fair in his assessment. And when he is angry, there's a reason why. And the reason why is not to hurt the person. The reason why is the sin that's hurting the person. And because of that, he wants to go after that sin because he sees how it's damaging that person. That's what causes him to be angry. But even with God, anger is not his first response. I love what Psalm 103 verses 8 and 10 say. And Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message, he puts it this way. God is sheer mercy and grace, not easily angered. He's rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag or scold, nor does he hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor pay us back in full of our wrongs. That's what righteousness looks like. It's quick to forgive first. It's quick to love first. It's quick to show mercy. 
We don't hold it over somebody. We don't nag them. We don't scold them. We don't bring it up the next day or the next week or the next month or some of us years later. That's what righteousness is. It's okay to get angry at something, but it's handling it in the right way that oftentimes we fall short in. I'll just be honest. Oftentimes I will hear Christ followers say, well, that made me angry. It's a righteous anger. And what I want to say to that is, you're right. That is a righteous anger, but the way you handled it was unrighteous. Let me give you two examples. Let's say that there's a cause that you believe in. And there's so many causes out there that there's an injustice, and we want to see justice, and so we want to get behind that. If we were righteous in that, we would give money towards that. We would volunteer as a part of a team to push that cause forward. It's okay to let things make us angry so long as our response is righteous as well. But many times it isn't. Many times we believe in a cause and then we go after the people on the other side. And when we do that, that negates the righteous anger in our lives. We have allowed anger now to control us because we're going at the person. We're not forgiving. We're not showing love. We're not showing grace. We're not, hold, we're not not holding it against them like God does with us. We think it's righteous because it's right, and it may be, but then we do something that disqualifies it. So that's why most of the time our anger is more unrighteous than we want to admit. Let me give you more, one more example, and this is personal. Ugh. When I took this job, I made a promise to myself that I would be as transparent with you as possible. Here it comes. <laughs> this week, I was off Monday through Friday. It was great. Loved being with my family. Did a lot of fun things. But I also knew I had to teach this week on anger. And I was very cognizant of that because I did not want to come in this morning to give you an example of my anger. Well, here we go. <laughs> I was great all the way through Friday. And then yesterday came. My wife took our, girl, our oldest daughter to meet with a friend to work on her renewed uh, women's gathering thing. So she was gone. My two oldest boys were downstairs waiting for grandma to come. So I set them up with lunch, and they were good. Brought my youngest daughter upstairs, put her in another room, allowed her to watch the iPad while I put together a bunk bed. I am not the person that you want to call to put together your bunk bed. So already, I'm already on pins and needles. I am not good at this stuff at all. But I was doing fine. The directions were okay. I'm, I'm working through it. Everything is going well. And then all of a sudden, I hear some rumbling downstairs. Sounds a little bit like WrestleMania. Then I hear someone running up the steps. Micah, our six-year-old, walks in. Says, Dad. I'm like, what, Micah? Hudson did something to me. I said, what did he do? He rubbed peanut butter all over my eyebrows. I said, what? He rubbed peanut butter all over my eyebrows. You are kidding me. Now, I had a, I could be righteous. It was a, we shouldn't do that to each other. It's a righteous thing to be frustrated about. I could have brought Hudson up. Could have asked them questions. Could have asked them kindly to clean it up. Could have forgiven them. Ain't no righteous anger in me at that moment. 
I run downstairs. Micah follows. He's excited because Hudson's going to get in trouble. I said, Hudson, did you rub peanut butter on Micah's eyebrows? And he said, yes. I said, why would you do that? I was louder, by the way. He said, well, Micah did it to me first. I said, oh, no. I said, Micah, did you rub it on his arms? Yes. And so now I'm ticked. And then I look over on the carpet, and there's peanut butter everywhere. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. I went ballistic. It was wrong. My anger in that moment, I threatened them that they couldn't go with their grandma, which caused them to cry. I said things that weren't right, that I would never hurt my kids physically, but our words can hurt maybe even more than that. It's easy to be righteously angry about something that's right, but to then do something to disqualify it and become unrighteous. And Paul says, when anger controls you and you don't control it, then you are wrong, no matter how right the situation is. And Paul goes on to say, look, this is so important. I'm going to give you a few different uh, characteristics or manifestations of anger. For he literally says in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. So I want you just to read through this list as I go through it and ask yourself, God, how am I showing anger right now? Because oftentimes you're not going to blow up like I did on my kids, but you're still hurting people. For instance, maybe you struggle with bitterness. Aristotle says it's a resentful spirit which refuses to be reconciled, which means you are holding people at arm length even though they want to be reconciled. Even though they ask for forgiveness, you want them to pay. Your bitterness is severing relationships in your life. Or maybe you're like me, an outburst of passion. You just go crazy. It makes you feel better, but it really hurts the other people. Oftentimes with rage comes harsh words which is the loud self-assertion of the angry person who will make everyone hear their grievance. You are just, whoever's in your way, you're going at them. They're going to know how angry you are, and you're gonna, they're going to hear why you're angry and what you really think of them in our anger. And then one we don't think is anger, but it's so much anger, is slander. Speaking evil of others, especially behind their backs, and so defaming and even destroying their reputation. Different forms of anger that if we don't control it and it controls us, we're in trouble. That's why Paul is begging us to get rid of it. Leave it behind. No matter what someone does to you, you do have the control through his spirit not to become angry. And Paul says, if you don't listen to me here, you're in more trouble than you realize. We oftentimes think anger hurts people, and hurts ourselves, and it's true, but I don't think we really understand the consequences of it. It's interesting, Paul goes on to say in verse 27, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives the foothold to the devil. Now, some of us need to really pay attention to the first part. 
and take it literally. We should stay up all night, if that's what it means, to work things out with a child or a spouse. Because that should be the most important thing. Sleep isn't the most important thing. It's dealing with our anger and dealing with the relationship because that's more important than any good night's sleep. But Paul is not literal here. He's figurative. Because some of us can't stay up all night because a boss or a friend or some of us just need to go to sleep and see it anew in the morning. But Paul is saying, look, you have to deal with it and deal with it well and deal with it and make it its first priority because if you don't, Satan gets a foothold. I'll tell you, I've said this verse, studied this verse, but when it said Satan gets a foothold, I started to think, how many times in Scripture does it attach a behavior with Satan? It's not many. Literally, what Paul is saying is when you lose it, or when you're bitter, or when you slander others, you are allowing Satan himself, who has the powers of evil, destruction and darkness and hell itself into your life and it's controlling you that's why some of us call ourselves christians but we're jerks because satan has gotten a hold of you and you can't see it it's always the other person and god is saying well you gotta get rid of this jesus wants to lead your life but jesus can't have full, our full hearts and our full lives if we're going to continue to be angry. I am the first one to admit that. Even the other day when I got angry, I thought about this verse. I thought, oh my goodness, anger is controlling me. Look at my kids. If you ask my kids right now, who's controlling daddy, Jesus or Satan? I guarantee you they'd say Satan. I want that. And some of us are destroying relationships because he's in control and not Jesus. So what do we do about it? First, we have to speak words of life, not death. Paul says in verse 29, let everything you say, everything. I don't care if it's your ex-wife. I don't care if it's your greatest enemy or your spouse or your child or a friend. Everything that you say, because you belong to Jesus now, everything you say, be good and helpful so you can encourage one another. So when we actually can control our anger, we need to remember, are my words going to be good and helpful? Or other words, are my words being used to impart grace to those who hear them? That literally means when I speak, they should be hearing from Jesus himself. For Jesus, when he speaks over me, imparts grace. And I need to give that same grace to others. When you look at your words, no matter who it is, is that what it reflects? If not, you're being controlled by someone other than Jesus. And secondly, if you can't say anything, be quiet and pray. You know, we parents in this room, we're liars. Want to know how I know that? Why do we tell our kids, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, and yet we are the ones some say some of the nastiest things to the people that we don't love? I mean, we either need to stop saying that so we're not a hypocrite or live it out. And not just not say anything, but pray for them. You can't not look at someone differently when you pray, God, let me see that person through your lens. How do you see them? Oh, you see them with grace and mercy and love. And you're not going to hold things against them. Lord, help me to see them in the same way. But as we close, I want to give you one more way to do that. And it's to forgive. 
I said at the beginning, there's some of you in this room, you're holding on to something because you've been hurt so deeply. And I want to say I'm sorry you've gone through that. I can't imagine some of the pain that's been inflicted on you. When I say that you're a victim, you really are. Not in a sarcastic way, but in a real way. I love you, and I would do anything for this church. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. That even though that person hurt you, you need to forgive them. And I know for some of you, like Eric, that works well if you hurt your kid or your spouse, but you don't understand what a parent did to me growing up or what an ex-spouse did to me or whatever it is. And you're right, I don't understand. But what I do understand is you are in a prison right now. And you're carrying around this anger like a weighted blanket that weighs you down and it's robbing you of the freedom that Jesus has for you. It's like the famous quote says, resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. The other person's living their life while you aren't. The other person doesn't de deserve your forgiveness and you're right. But let me tell you, you deserve it. For forgiveness isn't just for the other person, it's for you. And you may say, how do I do that? What's what Paul says as he closes Ephesians 4? Instead of living our old way, we forgive. Why? Just as God forgave us in Christ. All the things that you and I have done to him and to others have been forgiven on the cross. If we start with the cross and not the other person, we can start the forgiveness process. I'm in counseling right now. I've had to work through some forgiveness things with my father. It's hard. But I realized how much it holds me back. I don't want to hold you back anymore. The other person doesn't deserve it. You're right. But we don't either. So let's forgive. Because Jesus has forgiven us. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those in this room who are like me, who deal with anger in different forms. But they recognize it now. It's controlling them. People see them through that lens. Lord, you're not able to control our lives when we continue to be angry. We're allowing an evil power to do that. Lord, in your name, we revoke Satan in our lives and we drop our anger and we want to get rid of it all so we can truly live for you. And those who we can't forgive, Lord, help us to see how forgiven we are so we can start the process of getting out of jail ourselves. For Christ's sake.